to the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. All right, here we are, live again, the Old Grad Podcast, and uh, tonight our guest is Paul Smolchek. Paul, you there? Yeah, hey, what's going on, Jamie? Hey, How are you? What's Thanks. going on? Welcome to the Old Grad Podcast. Hopefully we're on a uh, good night. There's not We're not doing the uh, Grammys or the Emmys or the Oscars, and it's not a, you know, <laughs> Super Bowl, and it's not uh, election night, but there is South by Southwest. There's all kinds of shit going on with that, so yeah. we might find ourselves... <laughs> bandwidth uh constrained again with uh, good old facebook but hopefully it works out so how you doing my friend i'm doing well i'm doing well thank you how about yourself i'm doing pretty well pretty well and uh so you have been a, a pretty frequent listener to the uh to the to the other podcasts have have you listened uh, uh, have you listened to all of them or or most of them or um who, who have you listened to what's been impressionable for you well, I've, I've tried. I've actually, uh, I've tried to catch a few of them live. Uh, obviously, you know, we get uh, busy and uh, with my daughter coming in on Sunday nights at times. Um, but I've tried to listen to them live. And on the ones that I can't, I end up picking up on them later. And a couple of them actually, I've listened to part of it live. And then I go back and try and catch it later. Like I caught most of uh, Becky's when she was on. Uh, and George, uh, he was on as well. And, and uh, Rafael uh, Paredes and I actually shared a sponsor when we were at West Point. So when he was on as well, it was always good to... Uh, uh, it's always good to listen up on that and, and catch up with him. So are you listening only through Facebook or do you use Podbean? Uh, I've actually only ever listened through Facebook. I had seen uh, that there were a couple other venues. I think one night um, I was watching it and there was, I think there was some audio feed issues where you guys went to a backup uh, site. So I bumped over to that until the Facebook live uh, came back on. Uh, I actually had it on Facebook on the computer, but then I went on my phone uh, to the backup site so that I would know when the Facebook one pops back up. Uh, so I wasn't as familiar with some of your, uh, some of the backup sites. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The backup site is, um, we're, we're, we're streaming live on Dreamstream radio, right? Dreamstreamradio.com for those of you that would like to listen there and interact on Facebook at the same time you can do so. Yeah. I think Paul's got some of his buddies uh, listening actually on Dreamstream too, cause he's got some people that are not part of our Facebook group, right? Which is private. And then the pod, right, the pod right. bean thing is not private either, uh, but you have to know to look for it. I, I, I was questioning whether or not, and, and this would be good to hear people's perspective and we may ask some more, some more thoughts, but like, should this be a closed group? Like, do we want to have like a password protection on the pod bean thing? Because sometimes we mention some, some stuff that's like, uh, you know, first of all, I don't know who else will listen other than our <laughs> classmates, but right. uh, you know, there, there, I, as I mentioned, I think there's like, there's a, there's a palpable sense of, um, concern, especially among our classmates who are on active duty to, to make sure that they're walking the straight and narrow. They can't talk about some crazy thing or they, they, they don't want something to blow them back. Like, especially those that are working at West point. Right. Cause there's cadets that are there like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, like Colonel so-and-so walked a hundred hours, you know, got, got a drinking slug. Like, you know, that, like, <laughs> so they have to kind of like you know, be very tempered, I guess. With well, what's the, what's the statute of limitations on the th crazy things you did? The, I don't know what you guys did. I Has it run out already? It's, no, been, it's, it's, it's been 27 years? Yeah, it's been a long time. So, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, those that are still active duty, you know, like I, I, you just, you, you don't want that to reflect negatively. So, you know, there's a question about whether we should, I think we just try to keep it uh, PG rated as best we can and, and see what happens. So, 
But uh, so um, so Paul, you're uh, Paul, you're 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 coming to us from from Florida, right? Where where are you in Florida? Right, I'm actually uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, I was born in Pittsburgh, uh, but my family moved down to Florida when I was 11. So basically, most of my growing up uh, was done here, and uh, and several you know roomies and, and friends from uh, from school and the academy had actually come down and and hung out down here. We actually uh, a couple spring breaks and summer trips down to the Keys. Uh, so I grew up on the west coast of Florida in a place called Sarasota, which is just south of Tampa. Most people know where Tampa's at. Uh, and since 1997, uh, I've actually been over on the east coast of Florida uh, in the West Palm Beach area, uh, which is about, about 30 to 40 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale. So uh, not everybody knows where West Palm is, but pretty much everybody knows where Fort Lauderdale's at. So you did some, uh, you did some spring breaks down there back in the, back in the day? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, several people from uh, from school and from football and uh, like Westy, uh, Mark West had come down at one point. Uh, Jeff Settle, Alan Streeter, uh, several guys from school had you know come down. Grant Goldsmith had come down a few times. You know, because most people like I live where, and it's it's true in other areas too. Like I live where a lot of people come down and, and pay to go vacation, and then if you're down here, you end up paying to go to New York for vacation or Colorado. So people who didn't know that much about Florida. It created a nice little venue for them to be able to come down and, and we would run, uh, you know, I'm only a couple hours from the keys and it's always, even if you live in Florida, the keys is a completely different uh, area. It's like being in another, uh, another state once you get down there. Uh, so yeah, I took many trips down. That's cool. Yeah. Speaking of spring breaks, I was looking at a list of your company mates, uh, Tommy Keen and I went on spring break together first year. Somehow we ended up with this really kind of like eclectic group of people with F1 people, I1 people, D1 people all going to Cancun. And it was a crazy, crazy time. He's a good dude. I actually think Tom's from Florida as well. I, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, Is he? he's actually from the Tampa area. Yeah, just north of me. I think his family lived in Tampa. I, I believe, if I remember correctly. Last I ran into him, he was in uh, San Francisco, but I'm not sure if he's still there or not. So, uh, lost touch with him. Yeah. So, um, so, so tell me, so, so, what are you doing down there? What, what's? Give me the lay of the land. You got, you got two kids. You got, you got a job. What's, what's going on? Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously, uh, trying to catch up in 27 years of stuff. Uh, Job-wise, um, I work as a business. I got two primary things that I do is I work as a business development director uh, for a national materials company, and, and basically what I do is I work with large national companies like General Mills, uh, Honda, and others, and uh, you know where they have multiple sites across the country, and I and I help them buy materials better uh, rather than fragmented spend at individual locations. We you know I work with them and basically pulling together national accounts. Uh, and that's sort of the, the job that pays the bills. But something I've always absolutely loved is I've always uh, been into cars. And uh, a buddy of mine opened up a shop. And, and we basically, we, uh, we co-own a shop up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, that does uh, tuning and customization on, uh, on exotics. Uh, and he does all the work. He is the, the brains behind it and the mastermind uh, is an absolute artist when it comes to this stuff. He's, he's moved from a couple different shops. He used to run one down in Miami. Uh, called the Toy Shop, uh, and this was the shop that used to customize all the cars for like the Florida Marlins and uh, Miami Dolphins. And uh, so the shop up there in Michigan, it's it's more of a hobby and just a love. Um, basically, customizes and and builds cars. Like we built the car two years ago and took it out to Las Vegas to the SEMA show, uh, and it was one of the uh, uh, presented cars inside the uh, the main building at SEMA. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then on the personal side, uh, I've got two kids. I've got a 24 year old son. 
that just graduated in May from the University of Florida in Gainesville uh, with a dual engineering degree, mechanical and biomedical. Uh, wow. It did really, really well. Yeah, yeah, he did really. I, I mean, I 10 times smarter than I ever was. I mean, honestly, I am not afraid to admit that. He's 10 times smarter than I ever was or thought about being. Um, he ended up graduating and getting picked up by UF to skip the master's degree program and go straight into their engineering program, or I'm sorry, their, their PhD uh, engineering program uh, for mechanical engineering with a you know, full scholarship for tuition and fees and a research investment and stipend, you know, as long as he studied there at, at UF. Um, so he's doing well. And it's one of those ones where you kind of shake your hands and just go, yep, my work here is done. There's nothing more I can teach him. Um, and then I've got a 17 year old daughter too. That's, uh, that's a budding artist and engineer as well. Uh, and she has desire to head back to us and, and sort of follow in her big brother's footsteps and study engineering at, at UF as well. So she's an engineer and an artist. That's not very common to see those two, those two things no, together. It, yeah, it's not like she, uh, her school that she went to her high school, they had this program called the conservatory of the arts program. Uh, and she loves that. She loves drawing and painting, uh, and is actually pretty talented, uh, at it. And, uh, you know, she's, she, she's good at it. Um, and then also loved the engineering aspect of the art, like the design side. So she started, her school also had this engineering program called a STEM program where they're actually learning how to do three dimensional design and, and, and work. Uh, and they're, they're doing things that my son was doing in college. So, so she jumped into that too, and it's a four-year program where they actually graduate and have the prerequisites to go right into an engineering program in college. So uh, I think, and 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 I didn't realize this until I was talking to a good friend of mine that that they actually are kind of all tied together. They refer to it as like a commercial uh, interior design and architectural uh, uh, focus, where you do everything from design to drawing to engineering, and uh, uh, and then like the architectural side. So. So I'm hoping it plays out for her. Uh, she's a little like me, and that is uh, way too many interests. And and uh, so I'm hoping that one of those uh, plays out for her. So. Well, we should take a second to say hello to some of our classmates that have joined us on the call here because there's uh, quite a few people peppering comments into the uh, comment feed. So uh, Monique uh, Washington is on the call, and uh, Vince Lindemeyer, Joe Tonona, Carrie Pearson, Brad Hamaker, Scott Clemenson, Alex Rogers, Dan Clark, Brent Crabtree, Rob Craddock, to name a few. I saw some other people coming in and out. I think maybe. Um, What's the long paddle? We're going to talk all about the long paddle. Okay. Yeah, so I just saw someone <laughs> asked about that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going, to, we're going to talk all about the long paddle. Oh, uh, yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. And Joe Tanoni wants to know if your car is for sale, if the Mustang is for sale. <laughs> No, no, uh, and if he's listening, uh, you know, Joe, I, I've wanted one of those since I was 15 years old. It's a first-generation Camaro, uh, which was 67 to 69. And oddly enough, one of our classmates, uh, when I was at, when we were at the, at the academy, Kevin White, uh, Kevin White had one uh, and uh, used to watch him work on it uh, down at the little shop by the, uh, the main Sayre Gate. And uh, so it took me until four years ago to get it. So I waited 20-something years before I could, you know, find one and uh and oddly enough it was a guy that i went to high school with that was selling it and threw it up on facebook so uh so it worked out pretty well and, and you know so now i'm not quite ready to sell it yet but uh but thanks i know scott clemenson's into all that you know, he said you know gearhead stuff he's into cars and stuff so uh that's 
he'd probably he'd be another one that uh might be in the market <laughs> yeah i just i just love it and and actually um one of the coolest thing was uh when i got this car uh I promptly screwed it up. I, I didn't know it until three weeks later, but I owned it less than three hours before I completely screwed it up. Uh, I put in, and, and not to get too far off on a tangent, what I thought was uh, brake fluid. Uh, the previous owner had said, you know, had it was brake fluid in a container in the trunk, and I knew it needed it. Well, it turned out to be power steering fluid, and Oof. I put it in the master cylinder, Oof. and it melted everything inside yeah. uh, the brakes. So three weeks later, I was on the turnpike doing about 70, and I lost the brakes in the car. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so I got it home, and it went up on blocks for four months, uh, you know, uh, completely gutting the bottom of it. But I will tell you, it's one of the coolest things ever, because my daughter, who at the time was 15, um, picked up a wrench, crawled underneath the car, and rebuilt the rear end, and pulled apart the differential, and was helping pull the axles out. And, 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 and I, it, none of this was anything that I even knew how to do. We mm-hmm. would come inside, I would pull up my iPad watch a couple of YouTube videos on how to break apart the rear end. And then we would go outside and figure it out. I knew none of it before I did it. You see, you can't do that. You can't do that anymore. Like, like these no, new, these, no, yeah, like no. a Toyota, you know, Camry, f- forget it, man. You need like a shoehorn and a can opener to get it. Oh, well, plus this. a bunch of computers to, you know, recalibrate everything. Yeah. It's nothing like working on an old car. It's a lost art. It's, it's an art that's being lost. I mm-hmm. should say. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up. Yeah, with, so with, having my daughter love that was, was one of the coolest things for me too. Because my, you know, my son loved that stuff, but I didn't own it. You know, when he was younger, so to have my daughter go out, and then my daughter loved it so much. And uh, and Dan Clark's real big on uh, cars as well. He's got an old Jeep, and I have a '99 Wrangler uh, that spends more time, I think, broken down than running. And uh, my daughter begged me uh, for that car, and it's an it's an old beater it's got dents all over the place it was a chicago car it's rusted underneath and she begged me not to sell it and that's now what she drives to high school and uh so she's as as excited as could be and tickled pink to have that old beater jeep um because you know she can she can go out and wrench on it and mess with it as well so So she's she's a junior or a senior in high school uh she's a junior in high school so she's just now starting to, you know, look at and, and figure out, uh, you know, the colleges and all that. I mean, she knows what she wants to go, but um, the schools are so ridiculously hard to get into now. Uh, like, I couldn't even get into the state, a lot of the state schools in Florida right now, um, you know, with, because uh, they, they started this program, you know, years ago uh, called Bright Futures. So if you stayed within the state of Florida uh, and you did well in high school, you got scholarship money where they would give you money for every credit hour you took. Well, what ended up happening is a lot of the typical students that might leave the state of Florida ended up staying in the state of Florida. So now it's very, very hard to actually get into the schools uh, that are here. So uh, so she's just starting that process now. As a matter of fact, she took the SAT test yesterday. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was quite a day for her. Yeah, it's so hard to get into school now. It's ridiculous. I, I mean... <sighs> God, my daughter's a senior in high school. We're just waiting the next couple of weeks. We're going to hear all these yay or nay in a bunch of schools, but it's not a fun process as a parent. I'm sure a lot of our classmates are going through the same thing right now. So Thank yeah. God my son, who's senior in high school, he decided to go to your local community. Okay. Until he's... That's not a bad way to go. No, you know? because and it, he's undecided. Yeah. You know, you dump all that money into the first year and... Yeah, totally. Yeah. It'll probably be what Olivia does, too. There's a... Um, there's a school right outside of Gainesville uh, for University of Florida. And my son will still be up there in the PhD program for another four years. 
there's a school right outside the Santa Fe Community College, so it's become a good avenue for them if they really want to go to UF, is they go up to Santa Fe and um, you complete up to two years at Santa Fe on the courses and directing yourself towards whatever it is that you want to study. Uh, and then it, it has an extremely high transfer rate. Like basically anybody that's finishing at uh, Santa Fe that wants to go into UF, uh, it's almost uh, a sure thing, you know, to get in. So what I've encouraged her to do is not get caught up in, you know, Santa Fe versus being at UF. If you want to go to Gainesville and you want to go to UF, then that's an avenue for you to go in. Uh, and at the end of the day, it gets you to where it is that you want to go. And, you know, you, so, you know, still studying engineering. And so it keeps her on the path. Yeah. Hey, Scott, Scott Clemenson has a question. <laughs> has a question about the speed of your Camaro, whether it can do a ball 70 or not. Do you know what, the, what, the, what that, what that's a reference to? <laughs> that's Monique, Monique Washington going 170 miles an hour on a, on a little, uh, motorcycle. Right? Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, some, no, no, I was going to say something that's like semi, like politically incorrect. I, was, I, I said a, a little rice rocket. That's what she had. Like she, she has like a whatever, like a Honda, like a Honda. Oh, the crotch rockets. Yeah, 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 crotch yeah, rockets. Yeah. yeah. But um, so, so Paul, talking yeah. about college, talking about like you know, t- take me back to like 1986, 87. Like, what made you want to go to West Point? How did that whole thing come about? What was the whole process for you getting into uh, to West Point? Oh man. Um, well, you know, it's funny as, uh, I, I look back on now and I've, I've told both my kids this story too. Uh, I'm probably not the typical, uh, person that ends up at West Point. Like, uh, I, I really, nobody in my family had ever been in the military. Uh, my, my parents, uh, brothers, sisters, nothing. I'm the youngest of four. So we really had no one, uh, that had any type of military background. And, so you, youngest was, of four. So what do you got brothers and sisters and yeah, how much older are they? Of four, uh, I have a, it goes girl, boy, girl, boy, uh, my my sister just above me is four years older. Um, my brother's a year older than her, so that'd be five year older five years older than me. And then I have another sister eight years older than me. Um, so as the youngest of four, my parents had two in college, and then my oldest sister had elected to stay up in Pennsylvania when we moved to Florida uh, because she was obviously you know in I think she was in nursing school at the time. So. My parents were supporting three kids already uh, at the college level. You know, my dad, who um, I lost both my parents, but my dad, when he was alive, was probably one of the hardest working people I've ever known. Uh, he worked a, a day job, uh, you know, owned a, owned his own business. But then he also in Florida, you know, to keep the two kids, you know, my brother and sister in college through a paper route. He would wake up at three o'clock in the morning uh, and go through a paper route uh, just, you know, for the extra money that, you know, to, uh, for my brother and sister who were in college. So, so for me being the youngest of four, um, a lot of the schools that were recruiting me, you know, to play football uh, are schools that my parents could never have afforded to send me to. And, and I was, uh, you know, okay enough in sports to get recruited to go play football, but I was not by any means good enough, uh, to get scholarships. So, you know, it's one thing to have a school recruit you to play ball, but, uh, you know, not being good enough to get a scholarship, you still have to find a way to pay for it. So, so you were, me, a, you were a defensive back in high school? Yeah, I was a defensive back in high school. Um, my what? football coach in high school ended up connecting me with Tim Kish, uh, Coach Kish, and they recruited me to play ball. So when I went, it was as a, an opportunity to get a free education and play football, and that's really how I ended up, uh, you know, coming about, you know, going there. 
So you said you didn't know much about West Point, and you were like kind of a transplant, you know, going from a military family, which I think to some degree I've heard a lot of people say, like, that's really what we want to do across the academies. Like, you know, the military is becoming so much more of an insular community, you know, there's more and more of this, you know, civ military divide. So any opportunity that we could bring somebody else in that doesn't have like a parent or both parents in the military, it's a great way to right. kind of create that uh, cross pollination across, across the country. So, you know, you were one of those people. I was as well, although I have, I had some relatives that had been in the military, but not, um, you know, not, not my direct parents or anything. So, um, so right. but you were also being recruited by Navy too, right? Yeah, I was. Um, and that's actually a funny story. Um, I got, I was getting recruited by Navy, uh, and army, uh, for football, uh, and mostly had, you know, which had been prompted by, uh, my football coach in high school, John Sprague. Uh, but the funny thing was, is, uh, Navy, and, and again, this is, this goes back to not knowing anything about the military. You know, obviously we need a, uh, uh, congressional, you know, appointment to get in, uh, and Navy had started first, but then they changed out their entire coaching staff, and and I wasn't good enough to stay on the radar uh, with the incoming coaching staff, so that kind of stopped. But I didn't know that it was a different process uh, to go to Army, and so when I actually got my congressional nomination, uh, I got it to go to the Naval Academy, and so then when I had switched gears and ended up, uh, you know finally getting accepted to army, which was an, another whole thing. When I came up for a visit, I came back so convinced that that's where I want to go, wanted to go. I withdrew every other application that I had at all the other schools. So, and I hadn't even gotten accepted yet. So had I not gotten accepted, I wouldn't have had any place to go. And I didn't find out until it was almost too late that I didn't have a nomination to even get in. So there was this 11th hour begging my parents to skip school and drive to Fort Myers so that I could go to the congressman's office and beg them to flip my uh, nomination over. And, and they, they said, no, we can't do it. That's not how it works. And luckily one of the guys that they had appointed to go to the Naval Academy backed out. Um, so it freed it up. And so, so otherwise I wasn't going, I had no place to go and I wasn't going to be, you know, at either school. So so that's crazy. You get nominated to go to Naval Academy, but accepted at West Point, and you had to like, you know, work the system to make to make it all line up. Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. And back then, you know, think think back in that at that point in time, there's you can't fire an email off to somebody, you know, or or reach out to somebody like that. It's all either snail mail uh, or driving to the office, and that's what I ultimately ended up doing is is having to drive uh, an hour and a half down to the office to, to talk to their staff. Uh, to try to get it done. So the first time, uh, did your parents come up to drop you off for our day? They did, actually. Yeah, they did. Um, and, you know, back then we didn't do a lot of flying. So my parents actually drove up with uh, my brother and sister and, you know, this whole caravan uh, went up to, uh, up for our day to, to West Point and they stayed and, uh, uh, and actually, the funny thing is, is we, the, the, one of the very first people that we ran into, I don't know if you remember Todd Leonard uh, from our class, uh, one of the very first people that we bumped into was Todd Leonard. He's a quarterback. And right? and, yeah, he was a quarterback. Yeah, he played uh, football uh, first year, uh, going into second year. Um, uh, and then he ended up leaving uh, yearling year because he had, you know, uh, a couple classes that he had uh, failed. And I think what had happened is he had failed too many to be able to make them up at staff. So, uh, the, you know, summer school. So uh, he ended up leaving, but 
oddly enough, the very first person that we met was him. And then we ended up showing up for our day and we were in the same company, same squad together. Oh, he was in uh, D1 so, also? Yeah, he was in D1 also. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell me who else, yeah. who, who else, like, give me some more stories of the celebrities there at the, in, during Beast Barracks at D1. Cause you, you guys got a couple characters there that, uh, that I recognize. So, so what were some of the Beast stories with, with some of those, uh, goons from D1? Oh man. Um, well, the funny thing is, is most of the stories that we had, uh, were with guys that ended up, uh, you know, not staying like, uh, Todd ended up leaving. There was another guy named Wally cow. I don't know if you remember Wally. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, Wally was this guy, he, uh, had a guitar and he would, we would sit in his room and play the guitar and, and, uh, and sing. Um, yeah, most of the guys I, you know, that, that I was friends with were guys like John Ray and Alan Streeter and, uh, uh, Rob Burns, who we just called Cool Breeze. I don't know if you remember Cool Rob. Breeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like so, cool Breeze. So, well, uh, uh, so you call him Cool <laughs> Cool Breeze? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, everybody, everybody did because uh, he just had this nature to him. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of dropped off the radar. Like every once in a while, Alex Rogers will send me a text message, and he'll be like, "Hey, I ran into Cool Breeze," or you know, I, I, something like that. So uh, it is funny to see those or text, get those messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a character, Rob Burns. Um. He was in my Buckner squad. And speaking of, speaking of, uh, you know, like, it's funny, like, when you go to Buckner, like, the, the Buckner is the second year, right? So I'm, I'm looking at Joe as I'm talking to him. So, like, when you get done with your freshman year, which is kind of a real, you know, cauldron, you know, trial by fire, then you end up, you know, thinking you're an upperclassman, but you go right back into, like, being, like, the low man on the totem pole doing advanced training your second, your second right. summer. And so you're back, you're thrown back in together, but you're scrambled up with a whole bunch of new classmates. So like, you don't, you don't know those people, right? So Rob Burns was, in, <laughs> Rob Burns was in my squad. Rob Burns always pushed the limit with everybody, with everybody and everything. He always pushed the limit. He's always like, he's making nicknames up for people, made nicknames up for our, for our squad leader and for our platoon sergeant and for everybody else in the, for everybody in the whole platoon, they had, they had a nickname. So they started calling Rob Bubblehead. That was his, he, like, he wanted to be cool breeze. He said, we're going to call you Bubblehead. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember he nicknamed me Grimace. 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 Yeah. Because remember that, like that, that purple milkshake guy that would like on the McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's yeah. lands. He, yeah. that, I was Grimace. Cause he said, when I had my, 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 uh, my uh, helmet on, uh, I, look, I look like Remus. <laughs> <laughs> You're admitting a lot now, Jamie. That's I, a lot. Yeah. I that Rob, is, Rob it, was so funny. It is, maybe it is a good thing this is a closed group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So speaking of nicknames, uh, when I was talking to Mark West, I said, I'm going to have Paul Smolch oh, on. He said, oh, Smooch, Smooch. Oh, man. So they call, your nickname uh, was Smooch, huh? Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and I I owe all of that to Westy, uh, who we also called Chief uh, as uh, head quarterback for uh, one fifty football. Like I played with him on Fat Boys plebe uh, year, and then he dropped down uh, to one fifties, and then I came down shortly thereafter, uh, beginning of yearling year. But yeah, that and it's it's actually anybody listening to that with my nickname being Smoocher, uh, it is absolutely not for any of the reasons that are coming to mind. I'm sure. Um, it was actually, I was a punt returner and they misspelled my name in the annual, uh, program for the statistics at the end of the year. So the stats, they were doing punt return stats and whoever wrote my name as S M O L C H E K made the L and the K look like an O and an R. So it came out as Paul Smoocher, 
for punt return yards. And I'm telling you, uh, Tommy Sapola and Mark West latched onto that, and that was it. And Keith Brown, Keith Brown was the other one. Uh, he and Westy uh, just latched onto that. So, and the funny thing is, I ran into Keith Brown in August up in Detroit. I went up for this uh, car rally, and uh, Keith messages me, and he's like, "Hey, I'm in Detroit too. Where are you?" And so I give him an idea of where I'm at, and I'm standing there with my daughter. And I swear, Jamie, it sounded like the guy was yelling it through a megaphone. I hear "Scrooge" <laughs> from across the parking lot, and it's Keith Brown. Yeah, he's got uh, that big well, deep voice. Uh, yeah, Keith probably oh, yeah. has a megaphone voice. Yeah. Oh, it sounded that way. It sounded yeah. that way. And I just sort of laughed at it. My daughter looked at me because I wasn't, I hadn't prepared that that was going to be what was coming out. So I, I did not have a chance to tell my daughter why some, uh, this, this guy with his booming voice was yelling smooch or smoocher across the parking lot at me. And I would actually be responding to it. Uh, so it was kind of funny. And then I had to share a story with her about how that came about. There's some good nicknames there, you know, um, Joe, like when you're a junior, they have like, we have this thing called 500th night when you're like 500 days out from graduation and everybody gets like this big beer stein and it has all the nicknames of people from your company on, in like on that beer stein. Right. Do you still have your beer stein, Paul? I do actually. Yes, I do. Yeah. What was, your, actually, was, uh, your, was your nickname smooch on there or, or did you have a different nickname? No, it actually, uh, it, it came in as uh smiley, uh, which was another one that, uh, that I had. Uh huh. So, but actually I spent, um, 500th night, uh, with Mark West's company because there was a lot of people through football. Cause I was friends, uh, really good friends with Mark. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, I ended up, uh, as, just as the groups kind of fragmented off and, and did things, I ended up being like an adopted Apache. So believe it or not, my name is actually on the A4, uh, mugs as well. <laughs> uh, so Mark West, when they were, when they were putting in the names on the mugs, he put my name on the A4 mug too because I spent so much time hanging out with him because the football uh, and some of the guys that he was with. So, um, yeah. Well, we were down at uh, in Dominican Republic. I think I told the story once before, so I, I'll say it quickly. But A4 beat us in the brigade championship for basketball. And so uh, we won a rematch, our 30th reunion. We want to actually have like a formal <laughs> rematch with, with refs and, uh, you know, timekeeping and the whole thing. So the F1 crew is, is in – and we're ready to take on A4. That would be great. So, yeah, I'd like to see that from a physical standpoint. It would be awesome. It would down. be a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of fun. We have some oxygen on the sidelines. We'll be ready to go with some uh, EMTs. Yeah. So, what were some of the nicknames in D1? The D1 Duck. I know a great nickname. Blinky. 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 Oh, my God. <laughs> Captain Morgan. Oh, my God. Captain Morgan. His tactics. So the tack officer is like the guy in charge. He's like he's like an actual officer. And this guy's I, what what was wrong? Did he have like dry eye or something? What what was going on with his eyes? Honestly, man, I don't know. I, I really, but but it kind of seemed that way. I don't think it was like a nervous condition or anything. But but yeah, he just he just had this thing. And and uh, and if you ever get a chance to talk to Tom Blake, another D oneer, um. So, so Captain Morgan was, was kind of short. I won't say he was a real tall guy, whereas Tom Blake was really tall. And then our, our next tack after him was Captain Phillips, who was really tall. But yet Tom Blake could do an imitation of the two of them that was absolutely perfect. And Tom would get the blinking down and the squinting. Uh, and it was, it, he, was a, he was a great tactical officer. He was a great guy. But, yeah, I think he, uh, he took a lot of ribbing because of that. I don't know what it was caused by, though. Yeah, he'd just be looking at you as like is like this like this 
just like blinking, 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 looking at you. Like, so everybody called him Blinky. He must have known that we were calling him Blinky. Had to have known that, you know? Poor guy. <laughs> well, I think they add to him because, you know, the uh, when you do the, I think it's the 100th night where you do the skits uh, and you, you poke fun at the, uh, the firsties. Um, Tom Blake had done a skit uh, about Captain Morgan in that, and it was pretty obvious what the nature of the skit was. So, yeah, I would, I would believe he probably knew. Yeah. Those are good times. So who else from D1 do you stay in touch with? Who's Like you said, Al, Al Streeter and, uh, and John Ray. Yeah, Al, yeah there's probably a, there's a, you know, you have like a, there's a you know, core group of people. I mean, you're friends with everybody, but there's a core group that just somehow, you know, tends to bump back into each other. Uh, Alan Streeter and I, uh, you know, communicate pretty frequently. Uh, you know, but Alan, we, Al's one of those guys, you, have, you ever point to the people in your company that are lifers and, and Al's a lifer. Uh, so he's bounced around from Korea and all over the place. He's actually over in Germany right now. Uh, but I was messaging with him, Facebook messaging him earlier, uh, because one of our other cl- uh, company mates, Bob Boyle, uh, is going to be getting married at the beginning of May, uh, down in Guatemala. So he reached out, Bobby reached out to myself. Uh, John Ray is another guy that I keep in touch with. Uh, Johnny was in Hawaii for a while. Uh, beautiful son, great looking kid. Uh, and I think they just moved up to Boston actually, uh, recently. So Jeff Settle, uh, Alan, John, John Ray, and Bob Boyle are probably the ones that I communicate with the most. Uh, but yeah, so we're all trying to see if, and I think Bob had mentioned there's a couple other guys that he's trying to get in touch with too. Uh, we're all going to try to go down to Guatemala. You should do so that. We can go to Bob's wedding. I know. You, you should know. totally do that. That would be such an epic trip. I mean, you know. Oh, we have to. Yeah. 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 It, it, now, is Bob was Bob the guy that was doing like tennis, like a like a tennis team or something, something kind of. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, so Bob was actually, uh, he was on, he played for, uh, played at Army on tennis. And then, uh, when he left, he ended up getting stationed in Germany. And as a side gig on the weekends, he would go and he would make twice what he was making in the Army, uh, teaching, like, these wives, uh, and kids to play tennis at one of the local country clubs in Germany. So his side gig was better than his main gig. And, uh, so he did that and he actually traveled all over Europe, uh, on the, I guess the, uh, the all army, uh, tennis team. Uh, so did that until he got out and he's actually up in Philadelphia now. Uh, he owns a world's gym, uh, up there. And then I think he still does on the side. I think he still teaches tennis, uh, and runs like a little tennis academy on the side. So he's not moving down to Guatemala. He's just going down to get married and come back up here. Right, right. I think like her family's from there, so I think the idea is they're they're going to be down there. Uh, they're going to get married, and then I think the plan is um, she's going to be coming up to Philadelphia after. So yeah, I don't foresee him. But um, Bob's family's from down there. I want to say it's uh, El Salvador uh, is where his his family's from. Like his mom, I think. Uh, so you know, so for him to go down there, it's nothing. And uh, so I think that the plan is for them ultimately to head back up to Philadelphia. That'd be great. I got some. I got some stories from some of your some of your company mates, like Jeff Settle. I was at aerosol school with him, and I told the story. So I'll, again, I'll be quick. But he was. Uh, okay. I got an AAM for giving him a Heimlich maneuver, which is the biggest bogus AAM <laughs> ever. <laughs> and then Al Streeter is another one. Al, Al and I when we ended up uh, crossing paths at Ranger School, and uh, I think he recycled. 
you said he there was a story about him recycling right that that, that you knew on the pre-call so what, yeah yeah because actually i was showing up um i was going in as he was recycling so i saw him as he was getting a recycle uh like you know the recycle period you come back and so i saw him uh during the in-between stage like he and john ray and some others had started before us um so when they got their break after bedding stage i'm the one i ran over and picked them up brought them back to the house and they scarfed down every bit of food that i had in the house uh, and then we ran him back. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I ran into him. Um, you want me to tell mine first or do you want to tell, yeah, your no, tell, well, tell, tell, no, tell, tell yours? Yeah, tell but, but, but okay. yours. With John Wright, was he, he's an engineer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he went was, SF he later. Yeah. Nuno, uh, his middle name is Nuno. So we all called him Nuno. Uh, John, what, what an amazing guy. He's is very unassuming uh, guy, but he was always the one that would run faster than you, yeah. would do more push-ups than you, do more. And, and, and he was just like, just this unassuming guy that ended up being this total stud, uh, Ranger School, SF, and, and everything else. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Alan, um, when Alan ended up getting recycled through no fault of his own, uh, he was, this was one of like the last operations that they had as they were going through. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, he's there at a base op uh, in the middle of the night, and he hears the op four uh, light up his uh, platoon uh, with a 60. And he's like, wow, okay, that, that, that's a little odd. The Op 4 usually doesn't have a 60. And so they're getting lit up with a 60, and Al's yelling stuff out and yelling commands out. So he's trying to get so his, he was the, his uh, squad. He was the platoon leader on this on this. Yeah, patrol? yeah. He was, uh, yeah, okay. well, I, guess I don't remember if it was like squad leader or platoon leader or whatever it was yeah. um, so long ago. But So he's trying to get his 60 brought up, and he's like, you know, bring the 60 team up and all this. So he's yelling for his 60 team. So he runs over to where the 60s supposed to be at, and they're just kind of sitting there looking at him. And what had happened is they had fallen asleep. The Op 4 snuck in uh, and took his platoon 60, and that's what they were getting. Uh, that's what they were using to sort of light up Alan's platoon. And, you know, anytime that happens, even if it's no fault of your own. Oh, yeah. You uh, failed patrol. Yeah, you get a major minus, you failed the patrol. So, so he ended up failing the patrol, and that was it. So when I saw him, and he was, you know, telling me what happened. It, it was obviously not a happy story. So you saw him in the uh, bending phase, or was it was the bending phase that that happened, or was it like in between uh, mountains in Florida or something? It was in between mountains in Florida when I saw him. Like he got recycled in like one of the. I think it was like the last phase because shortly thereafter, um, Ed Sazina, who was in his who's, uh, Ranger class, who's on this Ed call, who's on who's on this yeah. right now. Ed Sazina's yeah, on and, there, and, and Ed made you know, be able to give more background, but yeah, Ed, um, so Alan was in the same group. So I saw Ed come through and graduate. Ed's got some great stories too. Like, I guess, you know, he, he really just, just blew it out of the water and did a great job. Like he got invited to come back, uh, like right after he graduated and got tabbed and, you know, he's got some cool stories about, they asked him if he would do like demos where like, I think he did this one where they were, you know, fast roping out of a helicopter into a lake and, uh, and swimming. It was really some, some cool stuff. Um, so yeah, so that was, that's my story of Alan. I still have, uh, I still have, I have nightmares every once in a while that I'm back that, that like somehow I have to go back <laughs> to ranger school. <laughs> like I'm back there. So. Right. Yeah. But now, right. As a, as a 50 year old guy. Yeah. yeah right. Right. As a, as a 50 year old, like overweight guy, like, you know, try, trying to get through, but the, you know, uh, today was a day too. Today it was like raining, like shitty raining, snowing today up here in uh, New Jersey. And I had to take my daughter up to a, uh, soccer game up in New York that ended up ultimately getting canceled. But I was saying to her on the way up, I said, today is a great day to not be in Ranger School. I still say that when it's like <laughs> shitty weather out there. But so, 
so Al Al comes into my squad, uh, into my platoon, the last phase of Ranger School, and so he had recycled at least once, right? And so his, um, yeah, he was just smoked at the end of this, like, and basically, like, Ranger School was like at the minimum it's sixty eight days, but it could be like one hundred and fifty days or something, right? So I'm I'm telling this to Joe, who, who's hearing this for the first time, but so. Basically, you know, you burn 10,000 calories a day. You walk like, I don't know, 500, 600 miles during the course of ranger school, like, you know, through, you know, movements and, and everything on you is disintegrating by the time you finish, right? right. Like there's, there's nothing left. There's no, nothing left on, on the soles of your shoes. You know, your pack's all banged up and your BDs, your, your uniform. So Al's uniform, <laughs> Al's uniform is basically disintegrating on his body. There's like <laughs> nothing left. Of, like his uniform is just getting worn and everything. And so his BDUs had like ripped like right in the crotch. Like they're like, right. it was like, like wide open, like, you know, like ripped. And so he had to like, um, he couldn't sew them together. So he took, um, have you, have you ever heard of a hundred mile an hour tape, Joe? Yes, it's yeah, basically right. like, it's like duct tape, but like right. super strong duct right. tape. Right. Yes. So he hundred mile an hour taped his BDUs together, like trying to like keep them together, like in the crotch area, right. you know, <laughs> And we're like walking. He's, he's like limping. He's like, oh god damn! He goes, <laughs> getting stuck there. Yeah. Oh, so, Brazilian he's, wax. He's like, I just hundred mile an hour tape my balls to my leg. Uh. <laughs> so gets to a point. He basically just essentially gives himself a Brazilian wax. Yeah. Is what he basically did at Ranger School. And he just he's like, oh, I just got to rip this thing off. It's just like. So funny. I mean, uh, it's so you're so miserable there, but that was actually like one of the highlights of Ranger School was was him basically <laughs> giving himself a Brazilian wax. It was uh, quite funny. Oh, it has to be. And then you have to you have to cling to that memory while you're there and laugh because as bad as it might get for you, uh, you know that you didn't do that to yourself. So you know it, it makes it better for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he oh, graduated man. with. I think we graduated. We did not have a single recycle in my final phase there. We all graduated together. So you must have been. So, so there's a picture somewhere of me and Al Streeter, you know, finishing up at Ranger School. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a really good dude. And so he's still in. He's a senior colonel. He's in, in Germany. You said right. You got you got a couple yeah, of ducks. Yeah. A couple of ducks are still in there, right? So him, uh, uh, Jeff Settle. Jeff Settle's still in, right? Steph Tutton, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think so. Yeah, I see pictures periodically of Steph. But- Steph's had some just an amazing career. Uh, I think I, like I've seen her a couple times over in Italy, uh, doing some stuff. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if she's still in or whether she's on the DS side. Uh, but I do see pictures of her a lot, you know, related to the service. I just don't know if, if she's still in uniform or not. Yeah, I think she is. I saw her last summer at okay. uh, Musso George's uh, promotion ceremony. I think she she actually has one of those jobs where she can periodically wear civilian clothes. Maybe maybe that's what you're okay, saying. Okay, maybe but. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. She's a hundred percent still in. You guys had a couple, a uh, couple lifers here too. And then interestingly, Brian Kleinsuber is in the Navy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think now he ended up as a, uh, a doctor, right? Isn't right. that what he did? He he's ended a up doctor. going flipping he's, over. Yeah. He's a psychiatrist in the Navy. And, um, I ran into him at a football game. He and I were stationed together along with Kevin Kearns. And I think Tom Blake had a little bit of connection with us too, but it was mostly Kevin Kearns and Stein, uh, Kleinstuber were down at uh, Fort Eustis. They were in a dive unit down there. They were both divers, Army divers. Yeah, and that's what 
Tom did as well. My, I believe, if I remember correctly, from uh, the last reunion that we went to, uh, Tom and Kevin both did that, and I think Brian did as well. They were, they were like, uh, you know, I don't think they were rescue divers. I think they were like, you know, underwater demolition experts. Right. Uh, you know, underwater like engineering and demolition and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what they were doing. So the dive unit was part of the. Yeah, that was the unit that I was connected to. I was not a diver, but um, they, they were they were part of uh, like our 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 attachment. They weren't even. I think they were in. They were in our battalion. It was a transportation battalion. So it was a weird setup. But those guys, uh, we had like this little engineer, this engineer like group, you know, that like would meet yeah. and drink and get into trouble, and they were part of it. So yeah, a group of overachievers. Uh, a lot of those in the class. I was definitely not one of those, but uh, we had some very talented classmates. I'm looking. So I'm, I'm looking at some more uh, names here. A couple of celebrities. Her Petrie, another uh, interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. I, guy. I, actually, there's a there's a couple guys like him uh, that just sort of uh, dropped off the radar after graduation. You know, you don't really uh, see or hear so much you know, from them. I think he's doing pretty good. He's actually, um, he's actually, he was in the oil and gas industry. I think he was doing, right, doing some big right. stuff, you know. And yeah. um, you know, by the way, I should mention that one of the reasons why we're doing this thing is because, aside from getting a chance to relive old memories, it's in reinforcing connections to one another. It's also about um, staying connected to West Point and to our class gift, our class giving goal of being at ninety one percent by the time we hit our thirty year reunion. And so, Company D One, you guys are at fifty-two uh, percent right now. Uh, so you got some, you got some, you got some uh, improvement. Yeah, we got to work on that. Yeah, yeah you know, Jamie, we. It's funny as we always we internally, uh, you know, uh, chastise ourselves about it too, and, and uh, you know, not as good as we uh, need to be. We got a couple guys that, that really step up. You know, like you mentioned, Kevin Kearns and, and some others that uh, that you know give more than some others combined. And, you know, yeah, we need to do we need to do a better job because I think there's a couple companies that are almost at like a hundred percent. Oh, there's one. Uh, there's one company that's a hundred percent. Company F one across the way yeah, from you. Yeah, which what's good. <laughs> you guys, you yeah, guys, no. you guys have I always been. For you. I, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, E one's at E one's above fifty two percent. F one's uh, at a hundred. So D one, once again, you guys are like the weak sister in the second battalion. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> actually, though, All I got right. some good news for you. You're actually better than that because I was going through this before we got on this call, and Kate Quinn does not have an X next to her name, meaning that she has does not get credit. However, her husband is getting credit. So technically they should be sharing that gift. So you're actually plus one. So she's, <laughs> she, she's, they got to make sure that when they, they, they give their money that they uh, put both their names on there so that she gets credit. Yeah. So, yeah. You have to let her know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, you're right. And, and, and the, the connection back, you know, to, to, you know, to the, school and the academy and you know it's, it's more than just the class when you know when you leave it's it's, it's about you know giving back to the school and yeah. everything else and I know, there's a lot i owe to it by the know, way so. i don't care about how much i just i, I want to get the participation rate up like you know if people yeah. some people are giving 19 dollars yeah. 91 cents and that's cool i'm good to go with that you know just just yeah. get on the get on the map get on this get on the scoreboard so um I, so you guys are above 52. If you count Kate, you're probably at 55. So you're uh, right there neck and neck with uh, E1. With so, E1. Okay. Yeah, but uh, E1 should be doing better too. Speaking of E1, you know, they got two general officers in E1, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Ryan and uh, D.A. Sims. And yeah. so um, they, I know they're both uh, frequent listeners to the podcast. I think they're the ones they, they downloaded, though, from, uh, from Podbean. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Hopefully they'll be, uh, they'll be hearing, hearing about this. So, um, so, so, so you've played all four years at West Point on the, on the, uh, sprint football team. I mean, your first year you played fat boys, you said, right. Then you transitioned right. second year. Right. Yeah. I played fat boys, uh, plebe year. And then, uh, through the spring, um, I ended up, uh, uh in an odd change of events, um, uh, it ultimately ended up, you know, what ended up uh, ending me playing for Fat Boys. Um, spring year, uh, plebe spring football. Sorry, I got tongue tied. Uh, plebe spring football, you know, you go down and you do spring training and, and uh, you know, the practices and everything else. And uh, part of it is, you know, running the 40 yard dash. And I ended up running a, like a, a pretty quick 40 time. Um, and the coaches kind of looked around and said, okay, wait, uh, that guy needs to go over and run scout team running back. Because, like I said, I, I wasn't especially good. I wasn't very big. Uh, I played football. I played fat boys football at 165 pounds. Um, so I got moved uh, in spring football uh, and went into yearly year football playing tailback. You know, with Mike Mayweather and, and uh, you know Calvin uh, Calvin Cass and these guys. Uh, so I was relegated to, to uh, scout team back, and I'm running scout team back against Greg Gatson, uh, Greg Gatson, uh, Shretzman, uh, Svoboda. Uh, John Robb, you know, Anthony Noto, uh, and I just got, uh, just got demolished. So I ended up dislocating my shoulder so bad playing fat boys that I almost lost uh, the ability to get commissioned. You know, I went in and I, I still remember the surgeon having a conversation with me saying, look, you know, you screw your shoulder up again, you're done. We can't commission you because we can't repair it anymore. Um, but they let me, uh, bump down and play, you know, sprint football with the idea being that, you know, everybody's capped out at a certain weight limit. Uh, and you won't take as as much punishment, and uh, and it ended up being one of the the coolest and funnest things ever. Because again, I wasn't really big enough to play uh, at that level, um, and but playing sprint football, amazing friendships, great group of guys. Uh, Bob Thompson was you know amazing coach uh, to play for, and, and really loved it. So I ended up finishing out the last three years, uh, you know, year and year through uh, playing one fifties, you know, sprint football. Have you ever gone back to play that uh, the um, alumni game? Oh man, no! I went back years ago. Um, I think it was like the tenth year, uh, or no, actually, it was one of the first years that they had done it. Um, and and Westy writes me every single year, and I tell him early in the year, I'm like, "Yep, I'm definitely in. I'm definitely in. I'm going to come back." I, I my playing days, I, I won't even do it just for the sake of putting the uniform on. Um, my, you know, my, my lower back is held together with rods and screws, uh, because of injuries going all the way back to ranger school, you know, what ended up, you know, bumping me out of ranger school, uh, and others. And I just, I can't risk it. And, and that's ultimately how I ended up getting involved in the paddleboarding thing. Cause the uh, other things that I was doing, like the tough mutter event, which, you know, benefits wounded warriors are used to anyways, uh, my body just couldn't take it anymore. So, so every time Westy asks me, he's like, just come back and put the uniform on, just stand on the sideline. I was like, no, cause that won't be what happens. I'll end up going, nah, just, just let me go out for a few plays. And then next thing you know, I'll be getting, you know, carted off the field, barely able to walk. So, um, I've gone back to one of them, uh, just not to play though. I didn't play in it. I played last year. I mean, not that I was on the, I was not on the team, but you know, Mark was like, doesn't matter. You just go out there and play. So I, I got play, the, yeah, I went out there yeah. and played and I, I, uh, managed to not get hurt too bad. So, but, um, it was fun. I, I do not think I'll be doing it again, but I, I will, I was great to do it once. It was, it was, it was a great, great experience. So, yeah, I see the pictures and it looks amazing. And, and, you know, it's mostly about the friendships and the, you yeah, know, camaraderie totally. and the opportunity to get back and, 
and it's an excuse to go back. And that's really at the end of the day, what it's you know supposed to be about, you know, finding ways to stay in touch yeah. you know, and, and connect again. So we got a few other people that just joined. Tim Thatcher just joined. And uh, I think I mentioned Joe Tonona was on. Bob Minner is on. Alex Porcelli's on. Uh, Deb Larney is on. Um, Ed Cezina mentioned is on. In addition to the p- other people that I mentioned before. So good to have you guys here listening in. Just peppering questions into the comment feed. And I'll uh, react to them and, and talk to Paul about, uh, about, about the questions. Yes, Tim Thatcher. Brent Crabtree said, Tim Thatcher? Yes, t- the Tim Thatcher. Thatcher was awesome. <laughs> do you know Thatcher? Do you, do you know him? Prior no, service no, guy? And, and, you know, by name, yeah. but uh, He not- just made OBC fun. I mean, <laughs> OBC sucked, by the way, because, you know, Fort Leonard Woods sucked. But he's just such a good guy. Just such a good guy. He's just so funny. Um, you know, like, quiet. But, you know, it has, like, this, you know, really... Um, I think uh, dry sense of humor. <laughs> it's just he was great to have. So that's good to have you on here. It's been a long time. I, have, I haven't seen him for years and years and years. So, um, so Paul, we got to get to present day because we're we're okay. coming up on like one hour into this podcast, and uh, yeah, it's amazing how there, fast that goes. It on. does go by super fast. I told you about that. So you have done some amazing things with this nonprofit, this um, uh, and this big this big event you've got coming up. So tell me about the run up to that. You said you're, you're doing some tough mutters. You're doing some things that were sort of challenging physically, but then, you know, what happened that you decided to do this crazy, crazy thing, this paddleboard thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had gotten started a few years back, um, a really close friend of mine, uh, that, uh, you know, unfortunately passed away from cancer at 47 had gotten me involved in, uh, the tough mutter events. And, uh, if you've never done one, it's, uh, it, it, it's, like a 10 to 12 mile obstacle race. Uh, and it played to actually what I loved most when I was at the Academy. I, I don't share this very often. I certainly don't tell my kids, but the only A that I ever got when I was at West Point was plebe gymnastics. Um, so, and I'm one of the few people that actually loved the, uh, indoor obstacle course too. Well, uh, plebe gymnastics. Uh, I I, that, 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 arrange, that I mentioned about that nightmare as <laughs> a ranger school. The other nightmare I have is about plebe gymnastics. So <laughs> I actually loved it. I loved it. And, uh, so, you know, I, I do not have any desire to go out and run 8, 10, 12 miles, but if you throw in 20 obstacles, some mud, climb over some stuff, I'm in it. I'm all about it. So I started doing those, and um, as I started hitting late 40s, I started thinking, you know, wow, I, you know, I want to do something significant before I turn 50 to give back. You know, I mean, I feel like my life's incredibly blessed, you know, rel- you know relatively healthy other than, you know, body breaking down to being old two great kids that I'm very, very thankful for it. So I wanted to kind of give something back. And, you know, the Tough Mudder race was an easy way to do that uh, because it was related to, the uh, you know, Wounded Warriors. Well, then they sold it uh, for one. So I, I kind of backed away from that. Uh, but then also my body, I just, I just really couldn't do it because what I was planning on doing was uh, they call it the world's toughest mutter. So a Tough Mudder is like a 12-mile obstacle course with like 20 obstacles uh, the world's toughest mutter is a five mile loop, uh, with about 20 obstacles, but you run it for 24 hours. And, uh, it's, it's an endurance thing to do as many as you can possibly do. And what got me thinking about it is army sends a team out there every year. Uh, so if you look, uh, Naval Academy, uh, and West Point both have teams that enter it. Uh, it's held in November out in Las Vegas. Well, the fact of the matter is that I just, I'm too beat up to do it. Uh, and physically wouldn't be able to make it. Well, last year, uh, I'm sorry, I flashed back about a year and a half ago, 
uh, I was sitting in front of the computer and this event popped up uh, called Crossing for a Cure. And, and you, you said it, you said that was also it happened to be the one year anniversary that of your losing your father. I yeah, think. yeah. So December 11th of 2017, I'm sitting in front of the computer and this thing pops up. Like I open Facebook. And, you know, thank you Facebook. Um, I open Facebook and the first thing that pops up is Crossing for a Cure 2018 uh, paddleboard across the ocean from the Bahamas back to Florida. Uh, and it was to benefit a, a nonprofit 501c called Piper's Angels Foundation, and it's to raise money for uh, cystic fibrosis. And uh, so I'm looking at it, and, and you know, as you mentioned, it was the anniversary of my dad passing away, and uh, this thing pops up, and and without even thinking about it, and and you know, as uh, you know, even going back to when I told you about withdrawing the applications at West Point, it's, it's that old ready, fire, aim thing. Uh, without even thinking about it, I ended up registering for it. And I really didn't even know uh, that much about it. And, and I had paddleboarded, you know, I live in Florida, you know, along the coast. So I paddleboarded, but by no means was I mentally prepared or prepared in any way to, you know, to go out and jump on a paddleboard and go across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was how it, it started. And, and right then when I signed up for it, it just kind of seemed like uh, the right direction to be, you know, pointing. And, uh, and then I got to know the people that are in the group, uh, Travis Suit, who started the foundation and actually is the first guy to have ever done it uh, back in 2013. His daughter. So how, sorry, how, his, far, how far is it? That you, what's the total distance? Well, straight line distance, it's right out about 70. But because you're picking up the Gulf Stream, uh, which comes south to north and runs between Bahamas and Florida, uh, you do this banana shape because you've got to take the current into consideration. It's 83.1 miles. And, um, on a paddle board. He does this on, on a paddle, paddle board. board. Yeah. So yeah. Now, you know, I want to, I want yeah. to, I want to take a stop for a second and think about that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. it's all like in one, sh- and he mentioned before, I want to, I want to, because I think that there's some connection here. You, you know, you lost your dad. Your dad was this big influence in your life. You know, it was, he was, he was, he was, he was, he pushed you hard, but you could see also that work ethic is something that, you know, clearly you, you get from him. You know, you mentioned about how he grown up. I mean, this guy's like paper out to basically, you know, make ends meet. He'll do anything he can. Right. So here, you know, like here yeah. you are one year anniversary of losing him. Here is like, you know, a physical trial of, you know, what you could do to do something for somebody else. Right. And so you see this and you're like, shit, I'm going to do that. And, you know, you, you sign up for it. Right. Basically that's yeah. how it went down. Yeah. Yeah. And, pretty and, much. And then you're like, well, now I got to actually do it. Now I got to actually do it. <laughs> now I have to actually go do it. Yeah. Yeah. So 80, it's 83 miles on a paddleboard. You nonstop, st- right? Nonstop. So you, st- you start in the Bahamas? Where do you actually start? Yeah. So what we did is we boated over on Thursday and um, this was the, the third year that it took place. The first was in 2013. Uh, you know, Piper's father, Travis, uh, was named after his daughter. It was he and three guys. And then the second year was, it took a couple of years off. And then in 2017, they said, Hey, uh, we really think this could be a good thing. Uh, they came back and did it. There were 32 people that did it in 2017. And then last year we had a hundred people uh, that did it. We, we boated over to the Bahamas on that Thursday, uh, took a day Friday to kind of reflect. And, you know, we refer to it as just kind of centering on your intentions. Like what is it that you're doing, you know, and remembering the why of why you're doing it. Uh, and believe it or not, the craziest part, uh, and I don't think I'd mentioned this to you is, we leave the beach in the Bahamas 
at midnight. Mm-hmm. So you leave at 12 o'clock in the pitch darkness on a 14 foot paddleboard to paddle out, paddle out into the Gulf stream and across the ocean. And you paddle for the first six hours in the dark. And the only light is, um, you know, my, my boat, I donated my boat to it and then also paddled, you know, in the event as well. Cause obviously, you know, you have a hundred people going over there. There is boat support. So each, you know, small group of four to five paddlers has a support boat that carries nutrition and food and, you know, medical stuff in case something's necessary. So, um, so what about, you what about going to the bathroom? I was just going to say that, <laughs> that question <laughs> you asked an astronaut. How do you go yeah. to the bathroom? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, what, what do you do? Yeah. Do you jump well, onto the boat, <laughs> uh, like, like to use the head? And no, back, no, yeah. you don't. You jump in the water. You, uh, like, you know, obviously there's, you know, two different types. Uh, they have, uh, uh, <laughs> and this is oversharing for my group, but hey, listen, man, uh, we've been a ranger school. Yeah, yeah, they have the Baby Ruth Award, uh, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> they do. And it's, you know, obviously, if you oh have, my if god, you, have, you know, if you have to pee, you just jump in the water and you go, and that's that's easy. I mean, you, you've done that all our lives. <laughs> um, but the other one, though, man, if you if like you gotta shots, go, you yeah. gotta go. And there's not a lot you can do. So you get in the water and you kind of float. And uh, they call it the Baby Ruth Award. And they would announce it over the radio. They would call in a boat. Like they'd say, hey, it's such and such, Baby Ruth Award. And the first person, we actually had this little short paddle. uh, And if you won the Baby Ruth Award, you got to carry the paddle. So... Oh my God! Yeah, it's, so it's that's a fact. The, I mean, you, you, you know, you got to. Is this, is this the long paddle that was mentioned? <laughs> yeah. yeah but, okay. This is the so. I got to back up a second. So, uh, so, st- okay. so you go over on Thursday, right? Right. And then, and then, so then you, you spend all day Friday. Ref- you stay in a hotel, I guess. Like you got to get like a good night's sleep, right? Like you, you have to like manage nutrition and sleep well. I think going into this, right? You do, and there's there's so much. There's so much preparation. I mean, obviously, you know, I've, I've, I've already been registered, you know, for three or four months for this year's, and we've already been out, you know, a training paddle. Like yesterday, I did a, you know, 14-mile training paddle, um, and we deliberately did against wind and current. But when you get over there, once you get there, it's, it's sort of like when you walk into your test at West Point. You don't be cramming the notes as you're walking down the hallway. You can't. You're there. Whatever, whatever preparation work you've done is, is what you've got. And that's kind of the way it is. When we get over there, uh, when you're in, when you get to Bimini, uh, it's not about, okay, let's prep, let's prep, let's prep. It's actually the mental side of, of prepping once you get there. And the good night rest, like we spend all day Friday, uh, we wake up, uh, there's yoga uh, that we do where it's really more about just sitting down and, and putting yourself into a relaxed state. Uh, and then we do what's referred to as a paddle out ceremony, um, which is very, very big in the surf and paddling community uh, where you're, you're, you're remembering the intention and addressing the why of why you're there. You basically paddle out and you circle up. And, uh, and if I have a, a photo that's on my page where it, it's a drone shot of a bunch of paddle boards uh, in a heart shape. And believe it or not, that was actually completely accidental. We all went out to form a circle, but the way the current was pushing us in, uh, it ended up pushing in one portion of the, the circle and it just formed this, this heart, uh, which was just amazing. Um, so we spend Friday doing that. And then, then Friday night, there's no activity. There's no nothing. Everyone just kind of goes and does their own thing. Um, and we meet at the beach at 11 o'clock, you know, to get ready for the takeoff and paddleboard back. That is just incredible. I, I, now, how long did it take you to paddle from the Bahamas to Florida? Um, the fastest groups. So not everybody did it, um, like solo. We refer to it as going iron. Like if you do beach to beach, 
you're the whole distance on your board. You're never getting in the boat. Uh, and you paddle, they call it going iron, you're solo. Um, and then there's also like relay teams. You could have a two, three or four person relay where, you know, Jamie paddles for an hour, Joe, you paddle for an hour, I paddle for an hour and you just keep rotating off. Right. Uh, so there's relay teams that do that. Um, so the fastest teams, uh, relay teams did it in just over 12 hours, uh, to 13 hours. Uh, my group, there were five of us behind my boat. We all paddled solo. Uh, and it took us right at about 16 hours. Wow. Um, and there's, there's resting that you do as well. I mean, like you, you paddle the, ideally you paddle for 90 minutes to two hours. Uh, you stop for five to seven minutes to rehydrate, uh, and food it, because you're burning six to 8,000 calories or more, um, during this paddle. So you've at got least, to, yeah. you know, replenish. Yeah, at, at least. And that, that, that would be a low amount. Um, so the boat, you have a support boat that basically, you know, you paddle up to and they hand you a bottle of water or they hand you a sandwich or, you know, whatever it is you're going to eat. So that's your support boat as you're coming across. Um, but yeah, so 16 hours, man, uh, you know, on the board. And, let, let me, let me know, ask you, what, what's the average paddle board? What is it? What's the weight of it? Would you say? Um, for, so a typical board that people are going to go out and recreationally paddle are in the mid thirties to low 30 pounds. Um, the ocean going boards, I was on a board, uh, by a company called flying fish paddle sports, uh, who he designed the board specifically around ocean racing and right. ocean crossing. So, so the board that I have is called a free glide crossing board. It's a 14 foot long board. Uh, it's a little narrower. It's only 23 pounds. So, um, it's not as heavy of a board, but one of the guys in our group paddled a board that was 42 pounds. And it made by a company called Boat, B-O-T-E. Now the trade-off is it's incredibly stable. Like it, it is a, it's like, it's like sitting on con, you know, a concrete pad while you're out there. It's a very stable board, but the trade-off is that you're, you're pushing a heavy board through the water. So, you know, you've got to do that for 80 something miles. It's, it, it wears you down. So you yeah, I'm just, I'm just, for that part. I'm just trying to uh, put it in the frame of mind of the weight of the board. Right. The your right. your body mass, your your weight of your body. Yeah. And how yeah. much you know, yeah, inertia like, is required yeah. and energy is this required. This is like a marathon. I mean, it's more than an Plus. Ironman competition. Yeah, it's the equivalent of like a triathlon. When yeah. you try bike versus if you went out and tried to do a triathlon or a uh, an Ironman with a with a mountain bike that weighs 35 pounds. So Jeez. so yeah, that comes into play and uh, the biggest part of it, the board's important, but the paddle actually becomes the the, the part that is extremely important because a little bit heavier or too, you know, too big of a blade and you're trying to pull it through the water too much, uh, or it starts to cavitate as you're pulling it back and it just blows your shoulders out. Um, these are, I mean, these, and, and it, remember when I told you, I, I signed up for this and it was ready, fire, aim. I knew none of these, uh, mm. when I started, absolutely none of it. I, I had, a uh, an 11, six Riviera recreational paddleboard that I started training on. So all of a sudden I'm, you know, going back to my West Point days of researching and researching and researching and, and overthinking it a thousand times. What board do I need to get? What paddle do I need to have? And, uh, and you know, and in the midst of all of that, on the paddling side, it's remembering what it's for, like remembering what you're doing it for. So, you know, I, I ended up getting very involved with the paddle as I was learning about it, but ultimately, you know, getting on the, you know, I ended up joining the committee for the crossing itself and then ultimately ended up joining the board of directors for, you know, the actual foundation itself, Piper's Angels Foundation. And, 
you know, so there was, there's just so much that was wrapped up in it. Uh, and it just became a very encompassing part of my life, which is exactly what I think I needed at that point in time. Real, real, uh, real quickly. Know, were, were there any, yeah, did anybody exactly. suffer from any major in- injuries during that event? No. And, and, and you know what, I am going to be superstitious to knock on wood on that one. No, that in the three years that it's taken place, you know, like four, four people, the first time 32, the second, a hundred people last year, um, we actually, right now, our goal for this year is 200 people, and I believe we have committed paddlers, meaning like let's say there's a team of four and only one person is registered yet, but there's three other people that are going to be registering. We have 170 people, and knock on wood, we've had no major injuries. I mean, nothing, and, and it's not even like uh, no major injuries. We really haven't had anything of any significance at all. Nobody's you know, hit a boat or, or injured themselves you know, other than maybe like a, you know, an injured knee or a shoulder from, you know, overwork, but no, nothing. And I yeah. did see somebody ask, Jeff Simpson asked yeah, about sharks. sharks yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's Florida and you're in 3000 feet of water in the Gulf stream, which is the prime feeding area. Like if you, if you track, there's a couple of great whites that are off. Yeah, Florida great right whites. Now. You, they yeah, they migrate to like, Montauk yeah, point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and I think a couple of years ago, um, I think in 2017 they did like there was a like an 11 foot tiger shark that was hanging out around one of the boats, mm. kind of meandering in and out, uh, and then they leave. Like it's almost more of like a curiosity aspect of you know who are you guys and and why are there so many of you in the water? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so, know, somebody, so somebody somebody's dropping a, a baby Ruth. Baby Ruth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want yeah, more. So we and, want more. And, <laughs> yeah. A quick a quick aside on that. Uh, Travis uh, sued the guy that that runs the foundation. Um, Travis will tell you a story like in 2017 when they all went over to Bimini, you know, they were sitting there and everybody's, you know, and they're in the bar and they just had food and they're getting, you know, this is before the paddle. And they had um, this guy uh, that was with them. And, and I don't remember all the details, so I'll butcher a little bit of the story. Um, one of the guys that Travis had taken over there was a guy that um, studied sharks and it's what he did. And, and uh, you know, do- they documented them, they filmed them and everything else. So Travis thought, well, this would be great to bring them along and, you know, as an expert and they're all sitting there and everybody's just laughing and they're having a great time in this bar. And Travis looks over at the guy and he's just sitting there very serious, like completely serious. So Travis walks over and he's like, Hey man, what's going on? And so the guy just looked at him and there was a couple seconds staring and he goes, I just really, I, 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 I have some concerns about this. And Travis was like, why? What's up? And, and the guy looked at him and he said, have you ever seen how fast a Mako shark goes when it's attracting, attacking something, they will hit 50 to 60 miles an hour. And he goes, my, my fear is one of your guys in the middle of the night falling off a board. And, and so, you know, and the next thing you know, he comes up on his paddleboard and he's missing a leg. <laughs> and Travis said that he looked at him and he said, whatever you do, do not tell anyone what you just told yeah. me. Because, wow. because it's not about trying to keep it from them. You're, you're there, but you just don't want it in your head. And, you know, it's a fact of life. There, there are sharks in the ocean and you're paddleboarding across the ocean. I give you credit, you know, man. I give you yeah, credit. If I did it, if I did it, I'd last all of 10 minutes, I think. I, I don't <laughs> think I would be able to. Well, there's an old adage, like if we're running through the woods and a bear's chasing us, how fast do I have to go to get away from the bear? And it's just a little bit faster than you. Right. So the, uh, the idea on the paddleboard is, I guess, kind of the same thing. But, you know, in all honesty, um, it, 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 it becomes something that people think about immediately as the biggest concern, and it's really not. Uh, it, it really is not a concern. There's such a curiosity that those animals have when you're in the water. Um, but, you know, without incident, uh, you know, they've been around and, 
you know, you, you just really don't see anything like that, you know, happening. And real real quick, it, real quick. You know, did, yeah. you, did you track yeah. your weight loss, your starting weight and your finishing weight? No, no, I didn't. That's interesting. Now, I never thought to do that, but you know, honestly, the I think the, one, of the, one of the guys did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, one of the guys did, and he said he actually gained a pound and a half. Well, um, muscle mass. Because you, well, you're no, no, not that, but because it's such a short duration, you're you're drinking and drinking and drinking constantly and eating. That he actually mm-hmm. said that by the time he finished, he had drank so much uh, that his, which is good, um, you know, because there's stories of people getting very lightheaded on the board, and, um, you know, because they weren't drinking enough. And actually one of the paddlers that was in our group, uh, her nutrition plan about 40 miles into the paddle, uh, broke down and she fully acknowledges. She's like, yeah, she's like, I wasn't eating enough of the right type of calories, you know, for your body to, you know, move on and, and, uh, and stay with it. So, you know, she actually, uh, uh, you know, she had to get into the boat and, and because she was getting so dizzy that she couldn't paddle anymore. So it's, uh, you're going to, so it takes you about 16 hours, at least based upon last year. Right. So you, you start right. at midnight and you're going until 4 PM the next day, basically. Correct. That's 16 yeah. hours. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of, so, so you're seeing the sun come up. That must be pretty amazing. Right. When you, like you start off as pitch black, dark, and like five hours into it, the sun's coming up, right? What's, what's oh, yeah. I have to tell you that, that um, I have a picture of that. We had just remarkable conditions last year. The ocean was so flat um, that the uh, we have this one picture to where it's just glass calm and the sun is just coming up over the, the surface. And, you know, we're paddling and the sun's coming up in our backs. And uh, I just remember at one point my boat captain uh, put the boat in neutral and we, we all looked at him and, and uh, we're like, Jeff, what's going on? He goes, guys, you just really need to stop for a second to turn around. And we did. And it, and it was just, uh, you know, I can't even begin to tell you the, the emotional side of that. When you're in the middle of the ocean, it's 3000 feet of water. There's not a, another thing that you can see. And you just watch the sunset and it's so quiet or sunrise come up and it's so quiet. And it, and it was, it was amazing. And uh, you know, so then you get back up and you start paddling and, you know, the crazy part was an hour after the sun came up, um, once the sun breaks the horizon, you start seeing the skyscrapers in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And we started getting really excited and we're yelling and we're hooping and hollering. And our uh, same boat captain, Jeff, kind of turned around and goes, guys, I don't want to take away your excitement, but you're still 45 miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you like know, eight you hours. You see the shoreline <laughs> from so far out and you got excited, but you're not even halfway, yeah. you know, so... Uh, so that was a, you know, it was a, it was an amazing thing though, you know, to because be able to the, do the that buildings are so tall, I guess you could see, cause you normally right. can only see like three or four, five miles, I guess. into the, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, what happens is you end up, um, you take this banana shape where it's not the distance. It's not like we were still 45 miles offshore. We were closer to shore, but we had 45 miles to go North because Bimini is uh, actually right. due East of Miami. Um, so we actually had to paddle towards Miami and then the Gulf Stream pushes you further North. Mm-hmm. So you end up in West Palm Beach area. So it has a, I mean, you did it last year for the first time. The the water was glass calm, but has have they had good weather every year, or is there like is there an, a time when it's not good weather? Because I think that would really yeah. make a difference. No, that's a great question because I know um, Steve Lettering, one of our classmates, messaged me before. He's like, "Hey, I want to try and do this in 2020," and you know, because he's seen it, and you know, and I've mentioned you know talking about the foundation and the reason why we do it you know, in the fundraising. So he's like, Hey, I'd love to do this in 2020. Um, in the first year that they did it, they actually did it in August. So this was just Travis going, Hey, I want to raise, I want to raise awareness. Cause it was his daughter. He's like, I want to raise funds and, and money. And he got this idea and called his parents and said, Hey, I'm going to paddle back for Bimini. And, 
you know, I'm sure the response from his dad was was a string of expletives together that said, you're, you're going to do what? <laughs> uh, so they went in August, which if you know anything about Florida is in the middle of hurricane season. Uh, that one did not go very well. Um, and then in 2017, you know, they also, they left the beach and they were battling uh, three to four foot seas in the Gulf Stream and then six oh, to eight foot suck. seas at times. That would suck. Uh, eight foot seas, forget. Oh my God. Oh, it, it was not. There were people on their knees, on their boards getting sick. Yeah. They would paddle for a little bit on their uh, boards, uh, on their knees, and then stand up and paddle a little bit. Everybody on the boats was getting sick. That sucks on a so, boat. Yeah. Forget yeah. about forget about paddleboard. It sucks on a boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably worse than the boat. I actually feel bad for the people in the boat. At least I'm out there and I'm, I'm on a board and I'm paddling and my mind is occupied by that and I have to you know, think of other things. If you're on a boat, it is just a long 16 hours. Now I can, I, I've been on boat rides like hours. that. I've been on boat rides like that. Pretty rough and I'm good. Yeah. But yeah, I, I imagine being on a paddle board where you have to work extra hard with balance. Oh, completely. Yeah, the biggest thing... The, the, so, so you asked about is there a good time and a bad time to go. Um, June typically is the best month to go. And, and the reason, and, and Travis really, they, they've, they've gotten this thing now down, you know, cause it's, it's the primary fundraising avenue for, you know, Piper's Angels Foundation. So this is something that's going to be, they're building a repeatable process. June of the 30 days in the month of June, um, 21 of those days are generally good weather or favorable weather. And by favorable, you're looking for something that's less than two to three foot seas and a slight wind out of the Southeast. I mean, ideally it'd be, you know, hey, one to two foot wind out of the southeast because the one to two foot, you actually, we call it bump riding. You know, you paddle, you know, paddle hard for a few strokes and you get on the front side of a bump and it carries you a little bit. So you're, you're decreasing the amount of work that you have to do relative to the distance you're moving. And uh, so June is, is, we've settled on June, you know, as being a good time of year to do it. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think it was kind of fated to be that way because, you know, the whole foundation was started because of a, you know, father's love for his daughter. So we do it Father's Day weekend. So, mm. you know, each each year in the summer. So our paddle this year is June 15th. Nice. And June 16th is Father's Day. And it will always be that, that way every single year. That's the weekend that we, you know, that we do it. So we're going to put a link in here to the, uh, to the, to the, um, crowd rise uh fundraiser but so piper's angels was focused uh, it was founded after uh piper uh and um it's it's around cystic fibrosis but it is um unlike many uh foundations this is really directed towards the families of people who are um basically battling cystic fibrosis right and and right. To enhance right. the the because there's so much that goes into this right i mean there's there's expenses that are sort of like outside the typical medical realm of expenses. There's just all the things that go along with it, right on top of it. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, yeah, really, really good question, Jamie. Um, so most most foundations or most um, you know, uh, like the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation that's out there, it's a you know billion dollar organization, as many of them are, like the Cancer Foundation and others. But 100% of what they do goes towards like R&D for drugs and medicines, and, which is great um, because it prolongs life. And, and the idea is to eventually find a cure that not only prolongs life, but stops the terminal side of the illness. But there were, there were very few, if any, foundations out there that address the quality of life. And, you know, the downside of, you know, you know and, and not to go into, you know, too much, you know, in the morbid detail, but the cystic fibrosis is a, it's a terminal disease. There there is a few percentage, I think it's less than 5% make it into their 40s. 
And so this is a disease that primarily gets diagnosed when you're a child. And when you have it, um, the, the long-term you know, uh, prognosis for it is terminal. And I think, yeah, so, I, th- I think actually a little bit longer than that, though. Um, I think that the median age is in the 40s. If somebody lives, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, there, it's one. Of those, it's like a, you know, I, I had the experience of really having to learn a lot about this disease. Um, fortunately, not because one of my I, well, there was a risk that we had that one of my children had it, but it turns out that they didn't thank, thank God. Um, so, but I like, I became like an overnight, uh, expert or not expert, but I learned a lot about it. Like in a, in that 48 hour or four day period when we were waiting to get results. So, um, yeah. it's, it's like a, um, what do they call that? Like a Poisson distribution. It's very skewed towards, you know, like the median is like, uh, like it's, it's close to 40, but I think, you know, very few people go beyond say 50. Yeah. You're, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a mid forties number. Right. Um, and they're, you know, they, they rank them all on a, you know, a scale of up to 10 and, you know, all the different types of the, the, the bacteria and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the primary focus for, you know, Piper's Angels Foundation, again, you, you've got so many that are focused on like prolonging life. Uh, what we do is we basically work directly with the families uh, from a financial side because, you know, the financial burden with that diagnosis is a lifetime of medications. Uh, in many cases, it's organ transplants, lung transplants, uh, which can be very expensive. And most of the families that we encounter, you know, if you're, you know, we, we deal on a weekly basis with families who are having to make the decision between, you know, okay, paying bills and paying rent versus, the ability to pay a $25,000 deductible for a, you know, a lung transplant or the, you know, the costs associated with that. So what our foundation does is, you know, 100% of what we raise. So like the entire event, the costs of the event uh, itself are uh, covered by uh, sponsorship, corporate sponsorships uh, for companies, you know, uh, angel investors that come in and, and cover the cost of the event. So on our crowd rising side, you know, each paddler has a goal of raising uh, $1,500. I think last year I raised right at about 5000 Um So each paddler has a, a goal to raise money, but 100% of what we raise goes directly towards uh, the foundation. So we, we're not paying for the event. We're not paying for staff. We're not paying for anything. So 100% of what we raise goes directly towards uh, benefiting the family. So and what we do, you know, is we, we work with families and we, we do things like assist with, you know, deductibles or financial support, you know, when they're having to do that. And then we also now, um, one of the big avenues that we're doing is we're creating this program called a salt supply program where uh, patients with cystic fibrosis, uh, so there's a huge benefit. Like the, and the reason people have asked me, like, well, why paddleboarding? Um, there was this group out of Australia that actually discovered that, um, being in a salt air environment uh, because of what cystic fibrosis does, which is, you know, it attacks the lungs and the lining of the lungs. Uh, being in a salt air environment, uh, the sodium chloride helps break up the mucus that's in the lungs. And they actually have found that people in a salt air environment have a 50, like a 54% less of a chance ending up in a hospital with an infection, which in a hospital with an infection is, is, you know, can be deadly to somebody with CF. Um, so that's how it started with paddleboarding being near the ocean. So we created this program called salt supply where patients can actually earn points, uh, for doing, uh, saltwater based activities. And we have scholarship programs where we take kids uh, to Costa Rica, 
and we put them in a week-long surf camp. And we try to foster and promote this love of the environment or love of the ocean because that's what they're going to need. They're going to need a love of saltwater or saltwater-based activities to help them you know, live. Uh, so that's really how the foundation was created and you know what its purpose is. Well, that's great stuff, man. I, I put a link in the in the chat box and I'll I'll again put it in later for people if they want to donate um, to your um, to your paddling for this and to support the foundation. It's it's awesome stuff that you do and I think, you know, there's if there's one thing that connects all of us, it's this desire I think to serve others and you're certainly doing it through this um, this trial by fire this, uh, that you're doing and, and setting example and, and um, serving others. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. We're kind of getting close to the end of our, of our 90 minutes here. And um, Jamie, one thing I want to suggest sure. to him is when during his next paddleboard mm-hmm. event, if you haven't done it already, live stream some Facebook, if you can get a cell signal. Mm-hmm. So people can really see what you're that doing, be, yeah. and what you're going through, your exertion, your dedication to actually see it every so often, like check in uh, live on Facebook. That would be pretty cool. Do a live stream, you know, mount, mount, get a mount on that board yeah. and do it. You know, everybody talks about, I mean, it, it, I, uh, I'm going to South by Southwest tomorrow. So if any of our classmates are in Austin, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'll be there for this whole week. But it, it, South by Southwest is basically an anti-Facebook bashing week-long thing because everybody hates facebook um and uh and but i mean like what other platform is there to do that that right there's no amazing yeah yeah. so i mean it would really give people just an inside view of what you're going through yeah yeah well you know your commitment your level of commitment no it's a and i and i know that there's probably video of people in the middle of the crossing you know you know taken from boats and things like that and, you know look you're in the middle of the ocean you have to do anything you could do to kind of keep your head in the game i mean last year they were you know they they were playing baseball with grapes you know the boats were throwing grapes out oh. guys were using their paddles to hit them you're, you're trying to do anything you can to keep your head in the game um and i know that there's video that, that's floating around of people doing that or what we do our our ocean you know because the training for it, you have to train not only for the distance, but last year we took people who had barely been on boards, you know, 15 miles offshore in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning, and we were paddleboarding back because you have to get over that fear also. Uh, that's a great idea, Joe. You know, about trying to feed that, you know, put on the live feed and, and let people see what it's like and you know what's going on. Plus, you, you know, can interact. With, you can interact with people verbally uh, if yeah. you can see their comments. Yeah. You know, and I think that would be really, really. A really cool thing to do during it if you can manage it yeah well paul again thank you again for what you're doing setting the example doing this and um just you know as we kind of wind things up here it's been 28 years 28 year journey and you're continuing to uh give give back to others and and um certainly set an example from a physical fitness standpoint because yeah, i heard not, him say about his back and yeah, rods and pins yeah, he's, and, he's uh iron man that's great any um any 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 parting thoughts or additional perspectives to maybe share with with our classmates uh, about your journey? Um, yeah, no, really, honestly, Jamie, you, I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate the opportunity not not only to talk about you know uh, the event itself, but also you know to reconnect with you because you've actually shared some stories with me that I didn't know about some of our classmates. So you know, <laughs> thank you for doing on our tape. <laughs> no, on our story. I know, and uh, and I honestly cannot wait to Facebook message. Uh, you know, Streeter, it's 3 a.m. where he's at right now, but I cannot wait to shoot him a message about that because I actually didn't know that story. I have a few Allen stories that I had to keep, uh, 
you know, off the record. Yeah, but, the, um, PG, the PG version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, exactly. But uh, honestly, Jamie, what I want to say is just thank you for doing this because to, to be able to have our class have an avenue and venue uh, to check in periodically and, you know, listen, listen to what others are doing uh, and keep in touch. Even uh, like I'm, I'm seeing the messages pop up on the thread uh, and I very much appreciate it. We'll respond back to some of the questions on there, but uh, thank you for putting the time into doing this because it's, it's such a valuable asset to our class and classmates uh, for you to do that. And I just, I'm, I'm honored and very much appreciate the opportunity to have done it. Uh, it's kind of a labor of love, you know, it's fun. And I guess let's just, you know, we can close by just again, reminding ourselves why we're doing this, right? So we have a, we have a goal of being the most generous class in the history of, of West Point. And then, and that would be to hit 91% giving rate. We are currently at right above 60%, you know, D1, you're at 52. So you, um, you got some, you got some ground. To cover. Away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're going to get there though. You're going to get there. I know, I know you are. And, uh, but we're, we're, and we're also coming up on the All Academy Challenge, which is in Je- which is June first, and so that's going to be the time where we really kind of push to get uh, more involvement. We came in fifth place of all the West Point classes last year. I would like for us to move up in the in the in that uh, ranking. Fifth is not bad, but I would really like to be uh, top two if we can do that. So um, it's all about staying connected to our classmates. It's about remembering our fallen classmates, which we didn't do very much of, uh, fortunately for, for you, Paul. Um, we have not lost any, any D1 um, classmates. Um, and, um, and so uh, we will you know, recognize uh, on, future, on future podcasts um, other fallen classmates. It's about staying connected to the events of West Point uh, and also to celebrate each other's successes and where necessary to, to lift each other up as well. So, um, Paul, thanks again for being our guest tonight. You can stick around as we kind of close this out so we can talk a little bit afterwards. But thanks again for being on this call. Thanks for being uh, our classmates and an example. And duty shall be done. Paul, hold on one minute. We'll be back with you real quickly. Jamie, real quickly, let everyone know where they can pick up the podcast version of the program. It's uh, podbean.com. You do a search for Old Grad Podcast. And you can also listen to the replay shortly after this broadcast has concluded on Facebook. Once again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Jamie, any idea when we're going to be back on live? Uh, probably in two more weeks. Okay. Uh, um, uh, to be to be determined. Okay. Very good. Everyone have a safe uh, week, and we will see you in two. And IM me or text me if you're going to be in Austin for South by South west and i'm also going to be in detroit on tuesday or thursday night so like be cool to hang up with somebody if they're in detroit thank you for joining us on this edition of the duty shall be done old grad podcast please check back on this facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the duty shall be done old grad podcast